You're listening to Coffin Cast. Please be aware that this is a dark subject matter and not suitable for all listeners. Welcome to Coffin Cast episode 13. My name is Kristen. We're on lucky number 13, everyone. Crazy. It's a pity it didn't fall two weeks earlier because then it would have been on like a Friday the 13th. But, you know, we can't have everything. But how freaking serendipitous would that have been? Anyway, let's talk about last week. Last week was an amazing week for the podcast. Humble brag time. Sorry, I have to do it. I joined a group of podcasters, independent podcasters, mind you, on Twitter in a group called Pod Nation. I was invited to join, and I was the lucky recipient of the first pod raid from Pod Nation. And basically what a pod raid is, is everybody in the group will retweet somebody's episodes. They're the focus for the week. Retweet episodes, like things, you know, share with listeners and all that. And I, from Wednesday morning to Thursday night, went up over a hundred listeners. That's crazy good. I, I am so appreciative. I swear I cried at least 15 times that day. It was a mess. I ugly cried, like, a lot. So I'm super appreciative to everybody that was involved. I look forward to returning the favor next week and all the weeks to come for you guys five-star ratings across the board on Apple iTunes. Amazing. Thank you for that. Being that it is my birthday month starting tomorrow, you know what you can do for me for my birthday? Five-star reviews, either on Apple iTunes, anywhere you can rate, basically, but also on podchaser.com. Podchaser is super cool. If you haven't been there yet, it's basically like an IMDb for podcasters you can see what I've created even though I've only I only do this this is what I do but also you can see what I'm listening to you can find all my episodes there you can rate me there as a creator and rate the podcast and you can follow your other favorite podcasts as well so definitely go to podchaser.com also let's talk about this week let's get out of last week because this is a new week, right? So this week's episode, I'm looking into a story that was suggested by Lisa from the 90s Court podcast. Definitely give them a listen. They take two kind of nostalgic items from the 90s and pit them against each other. I still think Lisa Frank was robbed. How is a trapper keeper better than anything Lisa Frank did? I don't agree, but that's the fun of it. You don't have to agree. You can argue it until you're blue in the face. So definitely give them a listen. That's 90s Court Podcast. Give them a listen. Lisa is a super nice lady. She's also a self-proclaimed true crime nerd. So she brought this one to my attention. Being that we're both from the Austin area, this is a local case for us. As soon as she started mentioning it, I was like, oh my god, I know that case. It's... That being said, it's not an easy case. So, 
I know I've kind of been dabbling in between true crime and doing other kind of fun lists and things like that. This one's a hard one. I I had a hard time researching it because there's 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 kids involved. Whenever there's kids involved, it's kind of hard for me because I'm a mom. This kind of stuff is my nightmare. Also, being from Texas, one thing you know about Texas law or the legal system in Texas is they are super big on justice. They want somebody to pay. Most of the time, I guess, they get it right. Some of the time, they don't. This is one of those cases where a lot of people believe they may have gotten it wrong. As far as while I'm doing the research, I'm like, I try not to form too big opinions on it. Because most of the cases that I do, if we're honest, are pretty clear cut and who did them. You know by the end, okay, well this is the person that did it to this person. But like my Trice Richards, you know, there's a couple that I have that are unsolved. This one, Texas believe they got it right... But did they? And this whole time I'm like going back and forth. Oh, he did it. Oh, no, he didn't do it. But did he do it? That's kind of where my brain was the whole time. And even as I close this out, I'm done with the research as of right now. As I close out the episode and actually do it, I don't even know what I officially think. I I have an opinion, of course, which I'll share with you at the end. But I don't feel like I even know that that opinion in my mind is even completely correct. Either way, let's go ahead and jump into this instead of listening to me talk about it. Let's jump into it. Let's talk about the Corsicana house fire. Out of respect for you, dear listener, I am going to reiterate that this is not a lighthearted story by any means. It's not an easy one. It wasn't easy to record or report on or research. None of it has been easy, and it's likely not going to be easy for you to listen to. So if you're concerned about it being too much, totally understand. Catch you next week. Like I said, it's going to be a lighter month next month. It's going to be kind of more interesting, fun, lighthearted stories. This one's not one of those. I've been avoiding doing true crime, partly because they do get exhausting and you need a break after a few stories, but also because I was contacted by a member of Melinda Pleskovic's family. That was a rough day. Um, She didn't come at me angry. She didn't say anything cruel or rude she just said my sister was so much more than her death and I I agree wholeheartedly I did my best to make sure that she was shown in a light aside from what happened to her of course I do that on every episode that I can but obviously it's still a fresh wound that that was her sister I can't imagine having to go through something like that and true crime when you think about it it's part of the I think part of the draw is fear that it can happen to you because these people were everyday people they had jobs they had families they had friends they were like you or me and I think part of the draw of true crime is finding those red flags 
seeing, you know, if there's something you need to be looking for in someone that's close to you or some kind of deficit in like your home security or something like that. That's what I think the draw is. That's part of it for me. Part of it. Now, like I said, as I, I, I try my best with every episode to paint the victims as real people because they were with this particular one there were three victims all of them were under the age of three years old they didn't get a chance to have even a childhood they were basically babies there's not a lot of information out there at all about these girls there's pictures of them and they were beautiful little girls but, you know, I, what was one of their favorite colors? What was their favorite toy? I don't have that information. So with that being said, I'm just going to give you what I can about them and hope it does them justice. I, that's really all I can do. But um, the oldest one was Amber Louise Cookendall Willingham, and she was two. She would be 30 now if she survived. Her sisters, Carmen and Cameron, were one and be 29 had they survived. And again, I wish I had a lifetime of stories for them. And I wish I didn't even have to have this podcast about them. I wish I didn't have to make this episode. According to their mother, Stacy Kukendall, the girls were spoiled rotten by her and her husband. There may or may not have been a fourth victim in this fire, depending on whatever the real truth is depending on what you believe after you listen to this podcast the girl's father Cameron Todd Willingham he went by Todd so we're I'm going to refer to him as Todd and it may have taken 13 years for the fire to kill him as well so it's the morning of December 23rd 1991 Amber and her little sisters Cameron and Carmen are in their bedroom Carmen and Cameron are napping and their mother, Stacy, decided to head to the Salvation Army to see if she could do some Christmas shopping. The family is poor. Stacy's only 22, and she's working as a bartender, carrying most of the financial weight of the family. Todd's 23 and an unemployed auto mechanic. He was charged with taking care of the girls while Stacy worked. Todd was taking a moment while the girls were occupied to himself take a nap. He was jolted from his sleep by hearing Amber screaming, Daddy, Daddy. Neighborhood children saw the fire and ran to their mother, Diane Barbie, who ran outside to find Todd on his back porch screaming, My babies are burning up. He himself was shirtless and barefoot, stood all over his chest, and his hair and eyebrows were singed. She told him to try to get the girls out while she called 911, so she ran to her home to call 911, and there's differing accounts of what happened. I don't know how these accounts differ so much, but they do. Some people say that Todd took a stick and broke the windows out to try to get to the girls, but flames pushed him back. Diane Barbie said that when she returned, he was busy moving his car and seemed more interested in getting his car out of the way than getting into the girls. The windows exploded in the children's room before firefighters had arrived. But when firefighters got there, they were spraying their way through the flames to get to the kids. 
The first child they pulled out was Amber, and she was still alive at the time, and they were trying to save her, but she later died at the hospital of smoke inhalation. She was found in the master bedroom, likely trying to get to her father. Carmen and Cameron were dead at the scene, burned beyond recognition. As firefighters came out with Amber, Todd grew hysterical and had to be restrained from going to her. He even gave one of the firefighters a black eye. Todd was taken to the hospital as well to be checked out for smoke inhalation and everything. His hair and his eyebrows were slightly singed and he had a superficial burn on his shoulder. The investigators noted this. These injuries to them weren't consistent with someone who had tried to save his children and had to escape a burning house because he simply couldn't be there any longer or he was going to die himself. Before police even got into the home, they were looking at Todd Willingham. They bring him into this to the station for a statement and he recounted his story as saying he heard his oldest screaming for him and he crawled on his hands and knees into their bedroom because the smoke was so bad. He could not find them. He said at one point he thought he found one of them, but it was a doll. He could feel himself losing consciousness, so he had to escape. When he asked what he thought caused the fire, he said he saw bright lights coming from the twins' room and he thought maybe it was a space heater that was kept there to keep him warm. He said he had caught Amber playing with it a couple times, but she would get a quote-unquote whooping when she did. He believed it was electrical because he heard electrical popping and hissing. His lack of injuries, according to investigators, did not match up with his story. Firefighter, fire, excuse me, investigators descended on the scene and Todd cooperated with them, giving them full permission to investigate. He said, quote, I know we might not ever know all the answers, but I'd like to know why my babies were taken from me, end quote. In the investigation, it seemed like some sort of liquid accelerant was used. Investigators said the char pattern showed what looked to be puddles in the ground as if liquid pulled before it burned. They said it looked as if the accelerant was poured down the hallway into the children's room where most of the damage was. There seemed to be what they called a fire trailer throughout the house, which indicated that the accelerant was poured by human hands. Another reason they believed accelerant was used was due to the fact that there were burn marks under an aluminum door jamb, which wouldn't have been there unless accelerant had been poured under it. It also seemed as if one of the refrigerators had been moved to block an exit because one of the, uh, the investigators had to move sideways to get out the side exit. Samples taken from the area showed only traces of what's called mineral spirits, but only in the front porch, front door area of the home. There was no other proof that had been able to be found like in the actual home. It was mostly the front door and the front porch area. They found what's called mineral spirits, which is typically found in charcoal lighter fluid. With this information, prosecutors pressed him even harder. Why would someone want to hurt Todd or his children? 
Todd said, I just don't understand why anybody would take them, you know. We had three of the most pretty babies anybody could have ever asked for. He went on to say, and this is in his voice, so keep in mind that the grammar mistakes, they're not me, they're, they're in his voice. Me and Stacy's been together for four years, but off and on we get into a fight and split up for a while. I think those babies is what brought us close together. Neither one of us could live without them kids. When referring to Amber screaming for him, he said, To tell you the honest to God's truth, I wish she hadn't woke me up. Investigators tried to get him to confess by showing him pictures of the girls' bodies, and one of the investigators said that when he broke down crying, he didn't believe he was crying for the girls. It seemed like he was crying because what he had did, quote, had come to light. He was charged with capital murder and was offered a deal that if he confessed, he would be spared the death penalty. He refused. That being said, Todd did not seem to be a good guy. I do not want to paint him as a infallible saint. He was not. He was unfaithful to his wife. He allegedly beat her up even when she was pregnant. Does that make him a murderer, let alone the murder of his children? I don't believe the two are connected. They may be, but they may not be. So what would the motive have been? Likely it wasn't monetarily motivated, even though the girls had insurance policies. Those insurance policies were purchased by Stacy's grandfather, and he was the beneficiary, not, not the Willinghams. Prosecutors believe that his motive in carrying out the fire was to rid himself of the girls. They argued that by attacking Stacy when she was pregnant, he tried to cause her to abort the children. There are police reports of him beating Stacy. That is not in dispute here. But there is no indication that those beatings were an attempt to get her to lose the kids. Not that it makes it right. I want to point that out that this that nothing that I'm saying here makes what he has done in his life right. His wife did concede that although he was abusive to her, he was not abusive towards the children and he loved them. Even after he was arrested and put on trial, for the most part, she stood by him being innocent of this. Before we get into the trial of Todd Willingham, I do want to take a quick moment to share with you one of the podcasts I'm listening to, Tiny Morbid Fantasies. I'm going to give them an opportunity to tell you a little bit about themselves. Also, I want to tell you a little bit about Anchor, and then when we come back, we'll get into the trial of Cameron Todd Willingham. Hi, I'm Sophia. And I'm Andrea. Welcome to the Tiny Morbid Fantasies podcast. Tiny Morbid Fantasies are involuntary, subconscious thoughts that flash through your mind. Sometimes referred to as the call of the void, these intrusive thoughts can be disturbing or inappropriate. Thoughts like driving into oncoming traffic or jumping when you're standing near a ledge. You know you would never act on them, but for some reason, they cross your mind anyway. This podcast showcases our collection of short stories based on those thoughts. In addition to our stories, we would like to hear your tiny morbid fantasies.
Todd Willingham was charged with murder on January 8, 1992, and his trial began in August of 1992. He was offered a plea deal, and if he pled guilty, he would receive life in prison and avoid the death penalty. Texas loves the death penalty like they like their barbecue. It's, it's crazy. He refused once again. Maintaining his innocence, he said, I'm not going to plead guilty to something that I did not do. As the trial began, fire investigators pointed to the mineral spirit findings from the lab on the front porch and the front door. Also, the pulling evidence that they found that shows that the fire was placed by human hands. They specifically pointed to Todd's hands as his injuries were extremely superficial. One of the prosecutors even argued that they were so superficial that Willingham may have inflicted the wounds upon himself. Also, prosecutors argued that Todd had not inhaled any smoke as per his examination at the hospital, and his blood gas levels showed no trace of it. This needs to be noted. In death penalty cases in Navarro County at the time, the suspect was offered an opportunity to take a polygraph test to eliminate him themselves. So Todd refused to do this. That's a little suspect because, you know, if... If something can prove you innocent, you know, wouldn't you do it? But also, that being said, relying on polygraphs for death penalty cases, I polygraphs, from my understanding, are not as reliable as they should be. And most places, they're not admissible in court. Um, they can help, but most of the time, they're not really considered solid evidence in a trial. Either way, Todd didn't take it. He didn't testify on his own behalf either. One of his fellow inmates, Johnny Webb, stated that he confessed to him that he squirted lighter fluid on the floor, walls, and set the fire. Webb also stated that Todd did it to cover the death of one of the girls who was accidentally killed by his wife. This testimony was criticized, however, due to the fact that during the autopsy, none of the girls were having were shown or found to have any injuries aside from the fire. Webb ended up later recanting this after the trial, but followed that with the question, the statute of limitation on perjury is run out, hasn't it? There is also the question as to whether the prosecutors offered him an early release deal to provide this information. So that's pretty shitty. Um, also, a psychiatrist... Dr. James Gregson was brought in to state that Todd's skull tattoo and various heavy metal posters indicated that he fit the profile of an incurable sociopath. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Do you guys, I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard of the West Memphis Three, but this is very similar to the junk science that was used to convict them. Heavy metal, tattoos, and at this time in history, because these happen pretty close to each other, this junk science was being thrown around a lot that heavy metal music and whatnot, you know, was tied to Satanism and only sociopaths liked heavy metal. So, Grigson also arrived at this diagnosis without even examining Todd Willingham. That being said, the jury was out for an hour. And they came back with a unanimous verdict 
that Todd Willingham was guilty and he was scheduled to die. Within a year, Stacy had filed for divorce and Todd's appeals had fallen on deaf ears until in 2004, two weeks prior to the date of his execution, Gerald Hurst, a noted arson expert, was asked to take a second look into the evidence. By then, Hurst's investigations had exonerated 10 people. Hurst was able to discredit every piece of arson evidence against Todd Willingham. However, there was still concern about the accelerant. It was found by a lab. It was proven that there was accelerant. So remember the front porch was the only place that the accelerant could be completely verified. According to Hearst, there was a charcoal grill on the front porch. Hearst believed the reason the accelerant was detectable is while the house was being sprayed with the hose, you know, to put out the fire... They knocked over the charcoal and the accelerant and spread it everywhere on the front porch and against the front door. All the 20 indicators of arson were able to be rebutted by Hearst, who believed there was no arson, there was no murder that took place. The report was sent to Texas Governor Rick Perry. I'm not a fan. I'm just going to put that out there. Rick Perry is an awful human being, but... That's neither here nor there. Um, and Rick Perry refused to respond to the report, as well as the appeal for clemency. He didn't even respond. Later on, he said, quote, Willingham was a monster. He was a guy who murdered his three children, who tried to beat his wife into an abortion so that he wouldn't have those kids. Person after person has stood up and testified to the facts of this case that, quite frankly, you aren't all covering. With that, Todd Willingham had no chance, and he was executed on February 17, 2004. Since his death, there's been a lot of back and forth regarding whether or not Todd Willingham was innocent. Hearst said that there is no proof that an arson took place. He believed that the fire went into what's called a flashover, that's when a fire ignites all combustible material in the room. Not because flames are like jumping all over the place, but because it gets so hot in the room that anything that can combust will combust and it will spread that fire rapidly. Like this can happen in seconds. Hearst had stated that flashover fires leave a pattern in the floor and that the pattern that was in the floor that was attributed to the accelerant or the pour pattern was simply misidentified and was actually a burn pattern. And much in line with the prosecution's assertion about Todd Willingham being a satanic sociopath who was obsessed with heavy metal music and had a skull tattoo, they said that the poor pattern in the girls' room was in the shape of a pentagram. Hearst argued that if you look at how they drew the pattern in relation to the windows, it is completely natural that the fire would happen that way. Windows offer fire ventilation. They offer them oxygen. That's what feeds a fire, and that's where the fire is going to go. So, in relation to the, where the windows were in the room, that's where the fire spread out. It wasn't in the shape of a pentagram. And if you look at the report, it's kind of a reach, at least to me, that it is a pentagram. It doesn't look like a pentagram to me. 
As far as the lack of injuries that Todd Willingham had, he was crawling on his hands and knees on the floor. The original arson investigator said that there was a fire pattern in the hallway, and if he was crawling out, or even just walking out, he would have burns on his feet, he would have burns on his body. But Hurst says even that can be refuted because before a flashover takes place, the floor is going to be completely cool. It's going to be completely normal because the flashover hasn't taken place yet and it's not on fire. So when he was crawling out, sure there was smoke, sure there were flames wherever the flames started, but there was nothing on the floor yet. So he had soot on his chest from crawling on the floor and a burn on his shoulder, but that was it. He he wouldn't have experienced that if unless he was in there when the flashover took place. So as far as his ex-wife goes, there's a little bit of confusion as to what went on. Um, her brother-in-law in a signed affidavit said that she told him that uh, Todd Willingham admitted it. She, she refuted that at first. Also, Todd Willingham reached out to her to ask her if he could please be buried by the little girls when he was executed. He he knew it was going to happen. He knew he wasn't going to escape this. So he asked her to please let him be buried with the girls. And she said no. So towards the end, she began to believe that he was guilty. She hadn't read the Hearst report at that point. Um, in 2010, she kind of... She kind of went against him again. She said, quote, Todd murdered Amber, Cameron, and Carmen. He burnt them. He admitted it to me. And he was convicted for his crime. And that's the closest to justice that my daughters were ever, will ever get. Papers have reported that she changed her mind so many times. But something I kind of want to point out, and this is kind of on the fly here. His last words were pretty rough towards her um and some people believe that it was due to the fact that he wasn't going to be allowed to be buried with them there's no question that he was abusive towards stacy but let me read his last words and these it contains some strong language so i apologize in advance so quote unquote or just quote because <laughs> i'm not unquoting it yet um his quote when asked if he wanted to give a statement he said quote yeah, the only statement I want to make is that I'm an innocent man convicted of a crime I did not commit. I've been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return so the earth shall become my throne. I gotta go, road dog. I love you, Gabby. I'm not sure who Gabby is. This part, they said that he turned towards Stacy, who was witnessing the execution, and said this. I hope you rot in hell, bitch. I hope you fucking rot in hell, bitch. You bitch. I hope you fucking rot, cunt. That is it. End quote. So, it's kind of unsure whether he was saying that because he was just hateful towards her. Even though she seemed, until, you know, 2010, to stand by him and say, and whatnot. It's, it's kind of iffy. I mean... It, a lot of people say that they believe that it was because she denied him the ability to be buried by his girls. But other people say, no, that's proof that he was guilty. Who knows? So either way, um, 
in 2009, the Texas Forensic Science Commission stated that the determination originally made regarding the arson was done with flawed science. So they even agreed with Dr. or not Dr. I'm sorry. He wasn't a doctor. Gerald Hurst's um, report stating that everything was flawed. No arson took place. As of today, there has been no formal clemency given to Cameron Todd Willingham. As we close this episode, I'm going to I'm going to level with you. I have flip-flopped so many times researching this, even just reading it. I my mind has changed so many times. As I'm closing, let me just give you where my head's at right now. I'm leaning towards him being an extremely flawed man, not a good man by any means. I don't believe that he was evil enough to kill his little girls based on the physical evidence the Hearst report I I don't think it was arson I've seen you know there's videos that are going to be available in the sources I definitely want you to take a look at it's frontline video from PBS you see him and you see him talking about his little girls and I think the emotion is genuine I do think he was genuinely destroyed by his girls dying. I think that those emotions, those tears were not crocodile tears. Texas men, Southern men in general, are very stoic and don't show a lot of emotion. And he was struggling to speak. I want to say that he didn't do it. The Innocence Project has taken up his cause as well. But as of now, again, there's no actual exoneration or clemency being offered as far as I know. One thing that kind of struck me as I read, someone in the funeral home heard him whisper to Amber, his oldest, and say, you're not the one who was supposed to die. Prosecutors or people that believe he was guilty believe this was an admission of guilt. But based on the new evidence, could he have meant something else? Like, he wishes he would have died first, or he was distraught that he couldn't save them. And, you know, perhaps we will never know. So, that is Todd Willingham, ladies and gentlemen. Trying to stay away from true crime, but it keeps pulling me back. Um... Thank you, thank you, thank you to Lisa who suggested this one. If you have any ideas or anything you want me to research, I will I will do it. I love hearing what people want to hear about. Um, you can send your submissions to me or your requests to me um, at coffincastpod at gmail.com, coffincastpod at gmail.com, and I will absolutely look into it. If it's something that bears enough fruit I will definitely put it out there and I will give you a shout out um again thank you for pod nation you know giving me the pod raid this week it has done wonders for the podcast so thank you for that also I'm going to remind you as I do every stinking episode follow me on twitter at coffincast with a capital c at coffincast I will follow you back if you just want the follows that's one way to do it Rate me on iTunes. 
give me fives, man. It's it's coming on my birthday week. Give me fives for my birthday. <laughs> give me constructive feedback as well. I, I'm always open to constructive feedback. As you can tell, I do take your feedback into account by the lack of music that's been playing. You know, that's only playing in the opening and the closing from now on. I do take that into account. So please give me your feedback. I prefer if you send it in an email rather than put it on my ratings. Because, you know, give me a chance to improve if I can. Also find me on podchaser.com. You can rate me there and see what I'm listening to. And as always, everyone, life is a dream walking, but death is going home. Have a great week. Be safe out there.